Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. I, I thought I'd just be quiet at the beginning and see if Brent said no. Oh, I hey, was Brent. ready. I know. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to the ABC Testing Podcast. Our special guest, Chat GPT, is not attending today. Um, oh. Maybe next time. Maybe wow, next time, okay. but always for there for inspiration. I was surprised. Someone actually grabbed one of my quotes out of the podcast and tweeted it. Something about, you know, Chat GPT is my collaborator, which it is, my friend. Unfortunately, in my life and where I'm at in the world and post pandemic, Chat GPT is likely my best friend. And you can take that to be just about as sad as it sounds. I got a couple things. Maybe before we get into that, um, is there anything new, exciting? It's, oh, let's talk oh, about in terms of in terms of friends. Are you still employed? I am still employed. Awesome. Um, uh, I will say that uh, one thing that's interesting on that one, uh, not surprising to you, in some regards, GPT is a great ally friend to to data scientists and everyone around the world. Uh, but if you are running a data science team and you specialize in NLP, GPT also represents a great threat to your value proposition. Always be prepared to find a new value proposition. Nobody's... Oh, yeah, yeah. The yeah, only no. people who's... I mean, I've been hearing about jobs going away due to computer programs, whether it's automation or AI, for as long as I've been in tech. Oh, Yet, it, people seem, most people seem to remain employed and move and shift as needed. The thing I'm doing, right? So I'm, I'm, I will, I'm, I'm kind of dumb with AI. I'm kidding. But I, I think <laughs> our, I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of our listeners. It's going to move hot and fast, right? Our listeners, you should expect to hear about it for a while because things are, are still going very hot and fast. But for me, I, I kind of treat this very similarly to how I did how I treated it when we made the last transition and probably the one before right. that. No, so I kind of think of it very similarly to to discussions we you and I had when it was very clear to both you and I, right? Uh that no, uh, it, like the metaphor I use is is test is like a chicken that just got its head cut off. From afar, it doesn't look dead, but it's dead, right? It, we we saw we noticed that the momentum is now unstoppable. Test is going away at Microsoft. We both predicted this very accurately. I don't remember your situation in particular, but I do know that at that fun. time. No, I, I mean, in terms of, so I predicted it, but then I remember predicting it and saying, it, oh, yeah, it's absolutely going to happen in the next three years. Welcome to episode 23 of the AB Testing Podcast. <laughs> right. Uh, I was wrong on that. I mean, my prediction was not correct, by much, but it happened in one year, not three. Yeah. And, and, and I'm kind of feeling the same thing right now. So very similar to what I did in tests as I started investing myself and my team in a, a direction where we are still strong, but doesn't 
try to live in a world where GPT doesn't me, succeed in in mastering NLP. Let me I don't I don't want to have this conversation yet again, but I will talk about the metaphor and it it is very similar and what happened when companies moved away from having dedicated testers and were very successful at it is that those that grasped on to the the moving car, whatever, I'm, I'm, my metaphors are going out the window here, but those who survived and did very well and thrived in that change were the ones who embraced the change and figured out, okay, we're trying to move faster. Great. I'm going to figure out how to help the team move faster. Accelerate the achievement shippable quality. The people who are just, just, I just want to do algorithms all day and blah, blah, blah. It's really kind of a fixed mindset, right? Same with the old testers, fixed mindset, digging their heels in. I do one thing, I do one thing only. If you embrace it, if you use AI to enhance what you do, and what you do is an AI, you bring value to the team using ML and AI tools, you can still do that in a different way using some of these tools to help you embrace it, lean in, have an open mind, and you'll be successful. And this is true across any one of 50,000 different similar transitions. People, I mean, you can go back in business magazines back to the 50s and you'll find people saying, ooh, business automation is going to get rid of the need for blah. And it did kind of, but what it did was it enabled people to do really cool things. I remember back in 1997 or so, driving to work, listening to KISW before it turned into a crappy station. And someone called in and was like, hey, I'm working it wherever. And we have some robe, some mechanical machines coming in and take my job away. I heard that. And I heard, yeah, you can look at it like that. Yeah, it's going to take my job away. What's really going to happen is that it's going to give you time to do something more interesting than moving part A from shelf A to shelf B all day long. Mm -hmm. So anyway, let's talk about something far, far more interesting. Okay. Let's talk about me. <laughs> I just kidding, but <laughs> I thought it was a good transition. Um, I don't, I'm going to go back and forth between old job and new job a little bit. I already have uh, people on, I should get to my new gig, my NBC Universal gig here in a second, not go too deep into it, but I already have people, including bong, my boss. Bong, who, bong. Well, it, I'm not sure what's worse, Brent interrupting me with the NBC chimes or Brent talking with his hands completely covering his mouth. I'll let you um. all figure it out. So uh, many people, including my boss, listen to the podcast. Got to be careful what I say. My boss. Even is on like, your new team? Yeah. He's, and, he's, and don't. And Steve, turn, turn the mic off. He's just a raging idiot. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> He's actually really good. I should uh, I should drop a link to his uh, blog sometime. We should have him on the podcast sometime. No, now I was going to give him an idea. Oh God. Anyway, uh, but before yeah, we get there, so, so Steve, Steve, open invite anytime. You are welcome on the podcast. No ideas. Don't give him any ideas. So uh, unfortunately, I read in the news this week, and then a bunch of people reached out to me. Actually, that's how I found out about it. Unity did its third round of layoffs in a year. So they that have sucks. cut from about 8,000 now down to about 7,000 employees in a year. Do some math, figure out that what that percentage is. It's a, it's, you know, 12.5%, whatever. And 
So that's tough. And all the management books tell you, everything you study says, you got to do the, if you have to do layoffs, and there's lots of studies that say layoffs don't even do much for the bottom line, but do one deep cut. These three semi-deep shallow cuts is is really rough on morale. So I feel really bad for my old employees. But then they did a thing I kind of want to talk about a little bit. And that one of the things that, like, here's a weird thing. When I decided I was ready to look for a new job, I was ready for it to be a six-month to 12-month search because I wanted to be picky. And there was a bunch of things I wanted. I wanted a manager I liked. Yes, Steve, I like you. Um, I wanted a pe- people I liked working with. Steve, please don't tell the people on the team I like working with them. I'm not ready for that yet. And then three, I wanted a product that I'm interested in. And the cool thing working at NBC Universal is I get a chance to learn really a whole new technology. Not in the in the stack well, the stack side enough, yeah, but I get a chance to learn a little bit more how broadcast media works, which is kind of interesting. By the way, I was in Los Angeles for a couple of days this week. Uh, Steve took me on a golf cart trip around the back lots of NBC Universal. I drove through um, the set of The Good Place and Wisteria Lane, where Desperate Housewives was, and saw the where the Bates Hotel from Psycho. Um, lots of cool stuff. Anyway, rewind the stack, and I wanted after working at a globally distributed company and, and many, many time zones of work and sometimes doing two of the same meeting in a day, which I didn't mind it. I liked it. I like engaging with the team, but it was starting to burn me out. We talked about that a, a few times ago. The other thing I wanted was I was getting, beginning to get some push to go back to the office at Unity. They wanted to go, well, let's get the leaders to go in three times a week. And I remember our, well, should I use his name? I won't use his name. A, a people leader at Unity who I don't have a lot of respect for due to previous previous uh, uh, interactions with him to Unity, came into the office one day, first time I'd ever seen him in the office, to ask us if we'd, he might have been even been on Zoom, to ask the leaders in the Seattle office if we start going in three times a week. And I told him, I've been coming in three times a week out of me being a little sick of home for a long time and it hasn't made a difference. I, I, I don't think this is going to happen. Gave all kinds of feedback on how none of the teams were in one spot and blah, blah, blah. And it was just weird. And that was so part of what I wanted to do when I joined a company was join a team that was largely or fully remote. And our engineering team, although some people go to offices if they're near one, it is basically fully remote, which is re- no, there's no requirement to go to the office. It means I get to work the, the times when I have a meeting when there's that weird hybrid thing when you have all your little Zoom or Teams windows, let's come back to that too. And uh, you have person, 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 whole group of people is really, really rare. It's generally, I've maybe seen it once. So it's one person. So anyway, that's really cool. So all those things just kind of came together very quickly when NBCU contacted me, I got all the three P's, the people, the person, the product. I got some of the in, the sort of intangibles I wanted around fully remote work. And it all kind of worked out much quicker than I had planned. And here I am. A couple things to drill in along the road there is, oh, the reason I brought up Unity is not only did they lay off 600 people, but in the same swipe of the knife, they said that everyone at the company, this is heck, this is hurt. I haven't heard it from Unity leadership. I've heard it from people reaching out going, hey, this sucks. What do you think? Is that they're requiring people to go to the office three days a week from now on, actually starting at some date in the near future, which I think, and I'm curious to hear your opinion on this, maybe compared to Microsoft, but I think, I'm, I was going to say horrible. I think it's kind of 
idiotic unless they're trying to get people to quit. What Microsoft is still full. Can you, you can still be fully remote at Microsoft. Is that correct? Oh yeah. It, it's, I would say right now, Microsoft is going in the opposite direction of that. The, um, please, please don't come in. It's cheaper for us when you work at home, right? Well, they're never, they're, they're not going to mention it that way. Right. I, there, my there whole isn't. career, I, I, I fill in the parts that people say quietly. I say the quiet parts out loud. Anyway, go on. <laughs> what is happening is certainly we, it's, it's public that Microsoft is not renewing the lease on any of its lease buildings. Correct. Right. So that's public. What we can also see is there is a, there is a large tendency, like I can look, as you know, I come into my office every day and I have been doing so for the last several years, all but one month of COVID and parking lots empty. And so there's some rationale to, to Microsoft being able to do that. Yeah, right? of the, course. I would say Microsoft could look at, they could turn into a leaser and lease some of their buildings to other people at mm. some point. I'm not sure the but, security implications around that, but that could be done. I think no, the, across I the campus, think, my gut is that there are buildings, a whole bunch of buildings, no more than a quarter full. For sure. That. I, uh, I would, I would be surprised if there's any building that's a quarter full. Yeah. The one thing though, team cohesion, uh, I would say certainly I haven't discovered the secret to it. I do miss team cohesion. I miss the work benefits. I miss the personal benefits of right, having the team there and, and working All together. Right. Do you remember once upon a time when I asked you like a question, a yes or no question of does Microsoft require people to go back to work? So the answer is no. It doesn't. No. And here's the deal. I think, you know, I don't know what's inside of you news executives minds, uh, but there is, I get where they're coming from a little bit. There's something that you get when people are together that you don't, that many teams don't generally get when they're all in their homes. My goal, what drives me and what I'm, I think I'm making some progress on and what I'm always thinking of as a manager is how do I do that? How do I build team cohesion how do I get a team to work together when they're not all hanging out in one place? I think what has happened over the last, has it been 25 years since COVID hit? I can't quite remember. I've lost track of time. So in the last uh, three or 25 years is that we have meetings and maybe even more meetings, which is odd because there's two things we screwed up on. One is in our meetings, all we ever talk about is work. I shouldn't say we, it's too big of a generalization. If you don't change anything. You have Zoom meetings or Teams meetings, and all we ever talk about is work. We never get fun. Or can we just talk about stuff? Can we goof off together? So one thing to do is make, we had a discussion in the Slack group this week about the same thing. What do you do about remote teams? One of the three.slack.com. You can go to moderntesting.org and get a link. I'll try and keep it up to date. If it's not up to date, you can yell at me. But don't always talk about meetings. There's things like take the first five minutes of every meeting just for people to either show up late or just have hallway talk, whatever. 
but also is focus on async work. Not every decision needs a meeting. Not every design needs a meeting. Collaborate as much as you can asynchronously and just embrace like embrace the fact that we're not all getting back together and focus more on it. So where many organizations I feel have failed here is giving managers and teams the education because they don't know it's all right. And there's so little experimenting because they're driving people to get stuff done to get uh, give people a chance at being successful in a fully remote world. And I think a lot of times people haven't done that. So if the managers to figure it out, if the managers don't try to figure it out. If they don't think it's their job to figure it out, it can get really boring really fast. The issue as I see it, I do wish my team would come in more often in terms of, of the, the requirement. So, so why don't you require them to come to work three days a week? Yeah, but then that's not going to work. That's a real question. Tell me why it doesn't work. I understand the rationale around Unity making the decision, right? The benefit they're trying to achieve. Unfortunately, uh, and, I, and I know you agree with this, the, the way they approached it is going to guarantee they don't achieve the benefits that they were seeking. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Right? It, it's No, you have to... If you want that, the benefits of that you get from the team being co-located, you either have to completely pull the switch, right? Very similar to what you were just saying before, right? You basically do an Elon Musk type of thing and you're just like, hey, from here on out, everyone is required back at work every day, right? And then, yeah, you're going to go through a, a, a difficult period and then people will renormalize. Or you have to create, you have to make, you have to create a motivation or an incentive such that it's their choice and they would prefer. Yeah. Carrots versus sticks. Exactly. If you're going to do a stick, the stick has to be, has to be, has to hit hard and fast and then be over. Very similar to the layoff situation. Uh, But if you're not, then it's got to be in the carrot. Although I would prefer a cupcake. Carrots suck. So one thing I put a pin in I want to talk about. So I have a whole bunch of stuff about work we could talk about, but let's see. You know, we used to do this session like Alan at Unity. What have you learned? Uh, we'll do a little bit here in a moment. But one thing I, I got to tell you. So remember, it, it's such a different situation from when I left Microsoft. To Microsoft, I had I was on this really toxic team, so I was really bitter about it, and. I give you a bad time about it a lot, but you tell me Satya's making it better. And I actually do believe you, despite me giving you a bad time. I wasn't <laughs> going to use, and I still haven't used uh, the Bing chat thing you you suggest to me. But I didn't use it because I don't run Windows, because who does? And uh, But I found out they make Edge for Mac. Because the Bing chat thing only works on Edge. So I'm right. going to try that out sometime. I heard from one of my um, new directs that Edge on Mac isn't so bad. So I'll give it a shot. Um, so the difference is that you know, unity is like my team was freaking awesome. I really, you know, it's a bunch of people I still really miss. And I'm, it's unfortunate in that situation, any of my anger at unity is towards their executive leadership, just good people. It's just in some unfortunate circumstances. But as I've mentioned on this podcast before, other than visual studio code and my Xbox, I did not use a Microsoft application from the day I left Microsoft it, during my entire run at Unity. And, I, and I'm very happy about that. 
I didn't really miss it. So here I am working at NBCU, and damn it if they don't use Microsoft apps. I spend okay. a chunk of my day on Teams calls now, and it's not so bad. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> Brent is looking at me, his tongue's like, <gasps> okay, so uh, okay, Teams, it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. It's a little flakier. Like sometimes when my camera dies, it's a little flakier, but they're doing okay there. I'm not, it's, it's better. I think they've replaced all the leadership on team since I left probably at least once. So it's doing all right. Uh, the other thing is office apps. They just feel cluttered to me. Mm. Like because I, you've been, you've been used to the Google version. Yeah. And so they do and they don't. So the apps feel cluttered. I spent Oh my God, how much time trying to use PowerPoint the other day. And it, it hurt. I'm going to go back to Keynote. Uh, I can't do it again. Just trying to find where commands were and looking up things on the web. It's just, I think, to me, PowerPoint is just awful. Word, I kind of like. Excel's, you know, good. Um, I don't use most of the features of it. and and But it's it's, I can handle it. Outlook on Mac is lacking. That's a good way of putting it. So what I found is for uh mail and calendar. I don't know if you do, I don't know if the what the Outlook client for Windows is like, but for Mac it's not good. So I use and I'm pretty happy with just using the web web version of Outlook and Calendar. Oh wow. and I'm and I'm pretty happy with those. It's, you know, it's not my favorite. But I'm making it work. But here I am after six years of making fun of all your Microsoft crap. And now I got to use it every day because we all have to pay our penance. <laughs> I don't know what to do. It's <sighs> You'll renormalize in, in no time. I remember when I finally, when I finally gave up on the Windows phone. Right. I'm like, no, I'm going to support our company. And I finally gave up on Windows phone. And... You know, it took me maybe 15 minutes with the App Store on on my on my Samsung Android, obviously. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, that was a poor decision. Yeah, here's I, the, that was a poor decision. Windows Phone is a great story about Microsoft. Windows Phone was actually a really good phone. Uh, the way it was set up, it was a good phone UI. It was a good phone. But Microsoft's ego got in their way. It wasn't uh, Microsoft's ego. It was Bomber's ego. Well, the Bomber years were pretty devastating to yes. to to Microsoft. The as a phone, the Microsoft phone was very very was actually really good. The frustrating part of the Windows phone was there were hardly any apps available for. It. That's what makes phones is the apps and. Not only that, but if I don't know if you recall this, but a lot of times when I shipped over to Android and started reinstalling my apps on Android, same apps, a lot of them, plus some new ones because it had, you know, a hundred times as many. Uh, some of the apps that I'd used forever on Windows Phone and used on Android, they actually had more features on Android. It's like, oh my God, what have I been missing out on? And right. I've been using Apple Phone now more. I have an Apple Phone for work and an iPhone. Also called an iPhone, yes. And same is true there. The the iPhone has maybe not as many apps in the long tail, but there's a lot of apps that are iPhone only. And 
some of the apps have more features than their Android counterparts. I remember I remember playing with Linux in the late 90s, mid to late 90s at Microsoft. And me saying out loud and getting laughed at was Microsoft should make a Windows 95 shell for Linux. And they yeah. should have. And I said the same thing with Windows Phone in the early 2000s. We should write this shell to run on Android. And no, that ever happened because nobody listens to me and, and whatever. But I honestly think, imagine this. What if Windows Phone, that shell, ran on Android OS? I think it'd be a very good phone. I think that I, I liked that tile approach, but who, who who knows? I don't know. Yeah, no, the uh, I don't. So you said you have an iPhone. So on Android, there's this component called the the launcher. Are you familiar with that? Yep. Okay, it, it's kind of the the thing that defines the sort of look and feel of the whole thing. Well, there is this thing called the Microsoft Launcher for Android. Ooh. And and that is one of the top rated launchers for all of Android. I don't currently use that's the that's the launcher I use uh, just because of I I really like how it organizes. No, oh, that's interesting. My, my right. apps amongst everything else. Uh, there is a launcher we you could you could and it maybe even this one I just may have forgotten it, but there is a launcher where you can skin Android to look like the old Windows looking. I, I believe it. Okay. I, I yeah yeah. Oh well, I mean, but now it's for free. Microsoft could have made some could have done a little bit better. I don't think they made money. They could have gained some customers. There was a time I also said that. Uh, Microsoft should stop. Here's here's the other suggestion I gave a little more out there. Take all the, oh my God, I have so many stories about Windows Phone developers. But the one thing I said, stop developing Windows Phone. Take all of those, whatever it was, like 400 developers working on it. Have them all write apps for Android and iOS. We'll make more money that way than, than Windows Phone. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I still think I would have been right, but no. And I remember when I worked on the Arcadia, the stupid science project to make Android apps run on Windows Phone, which is actually super easy. I remember biting my tongue and sometimes laughing out loud when I'd be in a meeting with these, these developers that worked on Windows Phone. Remember, Windows Phone, as far as I'm concerned, was a complete and utter flop. Uh, it, it was. I think we, I think it. Not not as much as Ken, which you've had stories on, but I remember being in these meetings and those developers, because a bunch of those folks moved over to this Arcadia team, and uh, those developers were so, this is the thing that Microsoft had, I'll say had at the time, maybe different now, bomber years. I think out of the bomber years, it was expected that to get ahead, you must have a very large ego and show it off daily. I remember so many times those folks would say, we try to make a decision. They say, well, on Windows phone, what we did, and I'm thinking, and I wanted to say out loud, whatever you do on Windows phone, whatever you did, let's do the exact opposite. Let's everything you did. Let's do the other thing and see if it sucks less. <laughs> You're like, thank you for your feedback. But now, instead, this- I just face palmed, rubbed my eyebrow off and um, waited for the, the drugs to kick in. Oh my and, God. And- <laughs> But you remember that ego. So here's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you can let me know what it's like in Microsoft now. And oh my gosh, I get to work with Microsoft people now because of Azure and GitHub, which is kind of Microsoft and other Microsoft things we use. It's not kind of Microsoft. I know. Well, (laughs) 
it depends how the acquisition goes. Sometimes Microsoft, it, it depends. Sometimes you leave stuff alone for longer. I mean, is LinkedIn is Microsoft kind of, it's still pretty separate. Uh, that's it's the windows organization is still pretty separate yeah, okay, from fine, the office. Fine, 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 fine. Right? But the point I wanted to bring like, up is other than those execs who happen to come from Microsoft via Amazon, Unity was great. There weren't egos getting in the way of good work. It was easy to do good work. I noticed the same thing at NBCU. There aren't, oh my God, I have to tell you this as um, I hate that Steve listens to this podcast, but I'll get over it because one great thing he did, and I may have mentioned this before, he set me up with like 30 people to go talk to. You know how you always give the new hires people to go meet? He gave me a massive list and 90% of the people no matter what their level were, said, if you have any questions, anything at all, reach out anytime, I'll help you out. Imagine that. Imagine me meeting a bunch of Microsoft execs back in the day, maybe 10 years ago in that time. And how many of them would say that? None. (laughs) So that's the difference that I really, really like. I like working. I mean, this isn't a hard, this is a little bit of a tautology maybe. I like working with people I like. Yeah. I think you mean more than that, though. I don't. I don't miss that old model. I really don't. Right. I, I kind of like. I, I do like the fact that the, the more of the endpoint microservice service model, the world that we're in right now, uh, has has almost killed the bet the farm mentality, which bred these egotistical bastards who, who. Right, would win arguments back in the old days when when no one had the data to dispute it. They would stand up, beat their chest, and go, "I have been here for fifteen years." And they leverage BS background stories. Yeah, yeah. I I was programming in COBOL while you were still wetting the bed. I'm right, you're wrong. Go back to school. Yeah, and the thing is, with with the way the world functions now. Yeah, those people aren't really surviving as That's well so as good they to used hear, to. That wasn't the case. Remember when I left, it was a weird place where Microsoft was growing up. We had all these people that had been there 20 years or so, just but who weren't who were still trying to do things the way they were 20 years ago. And one of my that was one of my frustrations. Yeah, and and rightly so. And I won't I won't look you in the eyes and tell you they're all gone. Right. Um, the ones I've been paying attention to, I'll tell you, there's only two of them left. It used to be like 20. And, and right now, the ones I'm paying attention to, there's only two left. Of the I will not mention names. What, 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 what are their initials? Uh, F.U. Frank Ulright. Okay, so you won't tell me. Um, culture's getting better. Culture's good here. I like working with people I like. Uh, have we talked about anything at all substantial yet? Uh, we briefly talked about ChatGPT. I repeat my question. Yeah, you, we we talked about forced office attendance. All right. Okay, that's a bad thing. Um, and, agree and on that. I, I and I do think right. So, so the thing is, like you, you uh, the in person and personal connections are difficult to quantify, but invaluable. Let me just maybe set up and discuss a little bit. Um, I'm going to talk about where I'm at and what I'm doing. 
I think it may set up some different discussions. So those of you who have been listening to the podcast for a very, very, very long time know that when I first joined Unity, we would spend some chunks of time in the podcast. I would talk about, again, this podcast is just two guys talking over beer, although I'm drinking water and Brent's picking his nose, and just talking about what's going on in front of people. That's, that's the whole premise of the podcast in the first place. We don't We have vague agendas, but... Six years ago at Unity, we talked about what was going on in the team, what I was thinking, what I was learning, what the metaphors I was seeing, the cool stuff I was discovering. And I think we can do a little bit of that here while I figure stuff out. So one cool thing that happened, I did not have direct reports up until this week. So I spent my first uh, month or so uh, without direct reports while I met a bunch of people and figured everything out and learned the projects. And But at this point, I have a team. I know what work needs to get done. Not going to go into details. Aren't important when you work on stuff. I you could it's if you work on an infrastructure or a platform group, it's the stuff you imagine. It's things around cloud optimization and migrations from tool X to tool Y. That's what we do. Very 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 high level. So I'm at the stage now where it's which I really really like. It's working with a team to teach them, not teach them. Working with a team to help them learn how to deliver more consistently. And you and I have talked about this a lot. This lines up well with the modern testing principles, which uh, as an aside that I don't want to get into, but it's a long story, but uh, our buddy James Bach added a bunch of comments to different articles on a website that's about to, to launch officially. It's soft launched, about to launch next week. There'll be a blurb on various social media from me, but it replied about modern testing principles. And guess what? He said, uh, not, uh, not my post, somebody else, one, another one of the three posted them. And he said, Hey, these aren't modern and these aren't about testing at all. We should call these modern delivery principles. Yes. Yes, we should. But, nope. uh, I read <laughs> vetoed. All right. We'll call it. I, I, I kind of agree because it, 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 prompts the discussion. So welcome to the discussion, James. I think in one of those replies, he actually makes the point that I saw him made somewhere else, saw him make somewhere else, which I couldn't find last week, which is that he cares about testing and not quality. And that's fine. He can do that. So anyway, we're going to learn modern testing principles, modern delivery principles, which is let's figure out, I mean, it's really agile and lean. How can we deliver how can we be, be transparent about the way we deliver? How can we be accountable? How can we begin to build up safety in our organization? How And then going back a topic or two, how can we work effectively together even though none of us are together? And it'll take time. I think that safety part especially, it's going to take months. You never get to a point where you go, yes, I've flipped the switch. This team is now psychologically safe. It is a spectrum that all you can do is try and move forward on all the time. So we'll work on that. The normal stuff. I'm trying to get the team in place to execute. Uh, just made, uh, just had someone accept an offer for a director reporting to me, working in the tool space. I'm excited about that. We'll get them ramped up when they start. So just in the forming stage, I guess. So nice. it's fun. And a lot of work to do, a lot of just a lot of people to learn. And, you know, and which is hard because as all three listeners know, I don't really like people, <laughs> but I, I like it when people are successful. So I sacrifice my dislike of people to help people be successful. And that's kind of where we're at now. But we should probably some things we should dive into at some point. But 
Brent, you haven't changed jobs in a long time. What do you think about all that? What do you think about like diving into the, oh God, I have to do five projects I'd never thought about before with, with a huge number of people I've never thought about before. How do you feel about that? So I am doing the former all of the time. That's, I, I thought about it. You're right. The, I am now in the job that I have been in for the longest contiguous period in my entire career. So new, new people, new people, new team, that actually might be nice. So I've been on the team now um, for the longest I have in my entire career, uh, eight years. Right. Previous to that, I was in exchange for five. And then up until then, really a max of three. Right. I kind of I, I, I found it more. I kind of viewed myself more like Mary Poppins. All right. I, I kind of solved this team or the what I can here. It's time to go to someplace else. But in this in the team I'm on right now, we are changing direction as a as a. Um, uh, all the time as a data scientist, right? My job is to to answer the the, the questions the business has now. So I'm, I'm constantly having to adapt. And unfortunately, sometimes it ends up being an interrupt, which I'm trying to remove because that has a negative consequence on the on my team itself. But we're we're constantly doing new 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 projects and, and as a mentioned at the start of the podcast, right? GPT is representing a, a, a non-trivial threat to a set of services that my team has done for a long time. And so it's always exciting. Like I, I, I called it a threat, but I'm, that's, that's not the perspective I'm taking. Anytime change happens, there's always opportunity. You need to look for it, which is what I'm doing. And I'm starting to converge on it and starting to get um, other attention, which will which will result in new interesting work for the team. So I'm curious because I I I don't know if you gave a good answer. Wasn't really the question I asked. Okay. I mean, you kind of justify you do what you do. It has some overlap. I think it's worth calling out. And my um my my boss sometimes asks me if I'm ready to run away screaming, and I sometimes feel, but not really feel like it. A role like this is as I've talked to some other folks about it is, is kind of not for the faint of heart, brand new team, lots of stuff to a lot of things to do, uh, a lot of legacy to move past, a lot of things to learn. It's a kind of a role. I love, I love to start from scratch, Me too. but I don't think that everyone does now. So I have never been afraid. Uh, It's, it's quite the opposite. A lot of people were like, when I when I become the head of a new team, I love it internally. I love it when one of my leaders comes to me and says, "Brent, I hear what you're saying, but that won't work here." I, I, I love it. I'm like, "Oh yeah, you 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 remember that you said that." I'm a change agent, and that yeah. that type of world is where change agents are like, okay, the, there's a team that's stuck because they believe they can't change. Have you ever done like a puzzle hunt or one of those kinds of things, or even a puzzle room where you you know there's a way out, and actually you're and you're pretty confident because you've done one before, maybe that you can get out. You don't know where to start. 
and like my blog post from a few weeks ago on angryweasel.substack.com, you just start. You find something, you look at it, and you figure out if it's a clue or not, and maybe you come back to it later. But that's kind of the organizational challenge. You look at things, you uh, trust but verify, you question, you figure out if the smoke alarm was actually a fire, and you just kind of poke around till you make progress. And again, in a puzzle room, you may be stuck, you may think you're stuck, but you look back and you're the progress, you go, we must be getting somewhere because I can see tangible progress I've made on figuring stuff out. I just need to make a few more connections and I'll get into the next room and start over again. I just made up this metaphor on the spot, but I think it kind of works. And I like that. I like not knowing where to start, but knowing, but feeling at least semi-confident that I can get the, to the end state and then make a new, and then make a new end state, but get to the end state if I just begin and move forward. The thing that I think is awesome about fresh eyes and right in this case, your fresh eyes and your leadership, right? The thing My I think fresh is, old eyes. The thing that's awesome about fresh eyes is you have not yet learned what can't be done. Correct. It's okay. all in front of me. And then the, the combine that with a team that has learned what can't be done. But if you remember way back in the, the 12 monkeys story, not the, the movie, but the one with the ladder where, where there's a cultural thing set up and people are doing things that they don't even remember why they're doing it that way anymore. They just know it can't be done. They don't know why. That's where someone with fresh eyes can, can go, well, why are we doing this? Well, we don't know. Oh, well, well, then let's just stop. That's one of the reasons why I'm just, I think I told you, I told you on this on the, on the podcast before. Like There was a team I was on years ago. It reminds me of this. There was a team I was on. I joined the team. This was in the old school. And they had shipped three products and hadn't had their build verification tests pass in six years. And I'm like, what a bizarre problem. I was excited. I, I, I went to my manager. I'm like, I would absolutely love this problem because build verification tests are so simple. I'm kind of puzzled as to what, your what this team did to even make that possible. Right. Yeah, I'd be I'd be intensely <laughs> curious. Also, yeah, yeah like, I'm like it's really hard to do this. I'm convinced of that. It is yep. much easier to get BBTs to pass than to go six years and have them not pass. I would think so. So yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, let's call that a day, man, because I gotta go. I do too. All right. Well, once again, I am Brent Jensen. No, I'm not. I'm I'm Alan. I'm Brent. Now it's we got me. it straight. Yeah. yeah, whatever. It's me. I'm the problem. Old age. All right. See you, man. See you next week. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Walking on.